Getting Busy During the Harvest Time, next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Jesus has just ministered to a single woman, the woman at the well. She's an outcast in her own town, which is an outcast in the countryside. And then all of a sudden, people start believing initially because of her testimony of everything Jesus did for her. So in the midst of this harvest, what is it that we are to be doing? Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. As we continue our survey of John, we find ourselves in chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. What to do in the harvest. We said something last week, and I repeat it. John Piper said it, that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Now, you've got to follow this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And we do missions because people are not worshiping God. Do you get it? You do evangelism. We go to people that don't know Christ in order that they may join the throng of us who adore and love Christ. But how did you get turned into a worshiper? Somebody had to introduce you to Christ and you left what you'd been bowing down before, as it were, and now you become a follower of Christ. So we do evangelism, we support missions, because we want there to be worshipers. And we find out in this marvelous chapter that we could stay uh, for weeks just to discuss what worship is, when he said that worship is something that takes place in your human spirit and in the realm of truth. Jesus warned, he quoted Isaiah that said, This people draw nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's very scary to learn to be external in worship, outward in worship, and measure everything that's going on outwardly so that we need a lot of help to call it a worship service when all the time he's saying true worship is internalized and it concerns itself with truth. But if you've got truth without worship, you're dead. No matter how much truth you say, the Pharisees had a lot of truth, but they were dead, and they didn't know God. So just, matter of fact, he said, when they teach you the Bible in Matthew 23, do what they say, just don't live like they live. And so he says we combine our internal spirit with truth. Now we move in the narrative And we see that this woman has truly become a follower of Christ. She accepts that he is Messiah, and she can't be quiet about it. So, I want us to look at three things today. I want us, first of all, to understand what Christ considers the harvest. What is he talking about? The harvest is ripe. What is the harvest he's talking about? Two, let's look at the fact that the harvest was the consuming priority of Christ. It was Christ's priority to pursue the harvest. And then thirdly, we'll look at his concerns 
about the harvest. He has some concerns, and we'll look at them. First of all, Christ saw a harvest in Samaria, so much so that he said, I must go by way of Samaria. Well, that's like going through maybe the worst part of any town you've ever been in, and maybe with the greatest racial animosity of any place you can go. And besides that, you're going to come up on a woman that we would want to call a streetwalker because she doesn't have a very good reputation. She's not known for being a one-man woman. She's had five men. She's shacking up with the ones she has. And Jesus said, I have a harvest in Samaria. I want to go. A lot of times, uh, three times in the Gospels, Jesus mentioned the harvest. Matthew 9, Luke 10, John 4. One place was Galilee. The other place is Samaria. Some believe the other was Perea, the land east of Jordan. And it's like Christ is saying, I see a harvest in the land of the despised, the Gentiles, Galilee of the Gentiles. I've got a harvest in the land of the hated, Samaria. And I've got a, a harvest in the land of neglect. Those people beyond the east of Jordan, way out of the sphere of Jerusalem, neglect. You don't want to go to Perea. And he says, I have a harvest there. What happens in this harvest? Well, he takes the risk of talking to this woman. And uh, since the last sermon on this, I looked up some research to find out what the rabbi said about anyone talking to a woman. Listen to this. A man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may say. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife. No public conversation. And especially with another woman, on account of what men may say. They went on to say, He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna. Christ went against all public mores to be talking to this woman. Twelve o'clock noon, no women would be found dead with her. And do you think sometimes we are so conservative and so safe, we aren't worth spit when it comes to reaching sinners? Because we treat them like they're the enemy when they're really the victim. Are they in the power of Satan? The loss? Were you ever in the power of Satan? I can't hear you. You were once driven by the God of this age, Ephesians 2. You were lost. But we get this kind of, I only want to be with Christians. I only want to be with those with a good profile. Jesus said, I want to be with sinners. I want to be with notorious sinners. And he had to defend himself in Luke 15. He says, you don't think a man's bad that stays up all night to find a lost sheep. 
And you don't think a woman is overdoing it to sweep the floor until she finds her dowry coin. And you don't think it's uh, crazy for a man to accept his son back. Why do you begrudge me wanting to reach the lost people? I came to seek and to save the religious. You don't know the verse, do you? Come on, you're supposed to, you're supposed to argue with me. Tell me I'm, I'm wet. I came to seek the lost. You have to ask yourself, is that part of my agenda on this earth? This was his harvest. He didn't care what the Pharisees, what Jerusalem said. He said, I'm going to risk reputation. And notice where the disciples are. They're in town, squeaky clean. They're hanging out at the bread market. They have nothing to do with this woman coming to Christ. You see, Christ is a lot more evangelistic than his followers. He came looking for this woman. Didn't matter what she was racially. Didn't matter her moral life. Didn't matter that her religion was wrong. Do you ever meet someone who says, Ooh, they got a different religion. Well, good. Everybody's religious, even an atheist. He just worships himself. Everybody's wrong until you come to Jesus. I was right theologically even before I was saved. I knew who Jesus was. Absolutely. I just didn't want him. But I knew he was the right one. Do you think that's possible? You can't grow up around the folks I did and not know it. I didn't want it, but I had to know it. Because they told me whether I liked it or not. Because that's what they were. See, quit acting like a Christian and just be a Christian. When I step in a room, I don't start saying, well, you know, I'm a man and I'm Caucasian and I'm good looking. I can't do that. Because you would question it. But you just, that's what you are. You bring what you, and, and once you become a Christian, you ought to be, that's what I am. It's not, oh, oh I got to play the Christian thing now. Let's hope that's what you become. Four marks that Jesus led this woman to the Lord. The first mark, if you just remember the letter C, it'll help you. She confesses when she goes back to town. She goes into town, and she says in verse 29, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she obviously felt he was the Christ to run back in town. The first thing she did was she confessed she met Christ and he could be the one. You know what? I'm suspicious of anyone that says they know him that won't confess him. That's why it's important for you to get baptized as soon as you profess faith. Go public as soon as you can. And she runs back to town. She tells everybody it's Sychar so that the city turns out to go see Jesus. So she is uh, confessing Christ from the get-go. Second of all, she changed her values. And this may be a straining a, a, a point here, but something is interesting in the narrative. It says she left her water pots and she went into town. Now, a water pot could be a precious item to them. Why did she leave it? One or two reasons, maybe. She may have done it to make haste to get back into town and to tell them about Christ. Some interpreters make the point 
Maybe since she had discovered the spring of living water that was in her, she was no longer preoccupied with physical water. That she was so elated at the drink of eternal life that she had, that she was able to just change her perspective. And all the way through this narrative, there's this tension between the physical and the spiritual, the temporal and the eternal. Here, she comes wanting physical water. Christ gives her spiritual water. Here, the disciples are all caught up with physical bread. Jesus is eating bread that is of the Spirit. Jesus says, you guys can't even see the harvest. They had eyes, but they couldn't perceive. And it's this whole contrast, physical, spiritual. She left that that brought her to the well, and she goes back. She was changed. And that's something interesting. When you become a Christian, what does she do? She's got a concern for the lost. She didn't even get to take an evangelism course. She never heard of Billy Graham. She never went to an EE class. But immediately, she runs back to the town. And please come and see a man. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Just like that. They knew her reputation. But she runs back. You've got to come see him. Concern for the lost. It's a true mark of those who have been saved. They can't, uh, they used to sing, I just can't keep it to myself. I got to tell it to somebody. I can't keep it to myself. I wonder if you got it, if you're keeping it. Because this, see, joy is doubled when you share it. And sorrow is cut in half when you share it. You want to double your joy? I know within two years, they say most Christians quit witnessing to anyone. They usually have alienated family that said, man, we don't want you at any more of the parties. You're no fun anymore. Uh, I knew guys when I first started this church. They'd go to a lot of the uh, parties, and they'd still drink, and still, they hadn't made all the changes we think of, but they just wanted to talk about Jesus. And before long, at the party, said, don't come to any more of our parties. We don't want to hear about God. Have a joint, let's boogie a little bit, but leave Jesus out of here. Because they didn't know. They hadn't cleaned up all the stuff we said, but they couldn't keep it to themselves. They wanted to talk about Christ, and they quit being invited to parties. Final thing is, she went with an invitation that is so beautiful. She said, come, come see the man. And Jesus told her, go to your husband, and he finds out and reveals that it really isn't her husband, but tell him to come. A part of the harvest of Christ is telling through saved sinners to others, come. Come to this source of eternal water, this source of eternal life. The harvest of Christ is illustrated in this woman. You're not bad enough, mean enough, ugly enough, racist enough. It doesn't matter the enoughs. When Christ visits, he comes looking for sinners, and he doesn't have a certain kind he's looking for, just a sinner. Christ saves sinners of whom I am chief. And what happens to many churches? We die. 
because uh, we turn internal. We're all concerned about everything internal. Budgets, uh, uh, the buildings maybe, uh, this program, that program. That's okay, that's wonderful. But it's easy to soon forget the harvest. The harvest isn't here. The harvest is out there. Jesus goes on to say that his priority is this harvest. Listen to what he says. The disciples come back with a spiritual perception of a turtle. They don't know what's going on. These guys, every place you read them in the gospel, they're hungry. They're, they're running the kitchen all the time. They don't even know what Messiah is doing. They're all about groceries, food, fish, loaves. Uh, even on the, the boat going over Galilee, did we bring any bread? Come on. Can you get, you're running with the bread of life. Well, we don't know. I want bread you could eat. Yeah, four hours from now, you'll be hungry again. And they come back, and they're a little shocked. They didn't want to ask Jesus, we can't believe you're talking to this woman. This is an outrage, but they dare not say it. And they said, you ought to eat something, Lord. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My priority for living, he says, is doing the will of my Father and doing his work. If I ask you what's the priority of your life, what would it be? Food? Bread? Something physical. Something in the physical realm. Possessions, hobbies, whatever. And Jesus is really quoting to them Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone. But he shall live on every word that proceeds from God. And he's saying, I in this harvest, there is a uh, menu when you're leading someone to Christ and showing them how to have eternal life. There is something about a bread from heaven that you eat on that you'll never, never find in a loaf of bread. You'll never find it in a brand new car. You'll never find it in anything physical in this world. There is a satisfaction in just leading one person to Christ or influencing them. That he said, I live to do the will of God. And the will of God is go to Samaria, contaminate your character, get involved with a fallen woman that ought to just be left alone and go to hell as a Samaritan religious mix-up. But he said, no, 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 no. The will of God for my life is to go to the land of the hated and find a woman that's despised because that's my food that feeds my inner man. And I want to not only do the will of God, if you do the will of God, he says, and do his work. Doing the will of God will never be for you to be passive. What you doing? Well, I'm praying about what my gift is. Give up. Give up. Let's just admit you don't have one. Get busy anyway. Work for God. 
Well, there's nothing to do. Sign up for VBS. Those kids will give you something to do. Work with children. Work with, we got more to do than you. you you're just uninformed. Rip Van Winkle. I'm just sleeping through the harvest. Oh, when's Jesus going to come? <laughs> well, he, he could have already passed as sleepy as you are. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, if you think he's coming, wake up for the night is on us. Wake up. Get busy. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, seeks someone to devour. Get with it. Stay awake. I lost my whole team of men by going to sleep in a garden. They all bailed out. Because they all would rather sleep than stay up and pray with me as I face my most difficult hours. And so here, he's saying, doing the will of God is my priority. And the will of God says, go and find lost people and seek to influence them for Christ. The work of God is turning sinners into worshipers. Turning sinners into people who bow before Jesus Christ. To turn people from going to hell and by turning them towards heaven. The Son of Man. I think uh, Sean Giese put out a challenge to us uh, a while back. Uh, Twelve people within the next 12 months. And he broke it down. Could you not go after one person per month just to show them where they could have eternal life? Tw- how, how dare him challenge us that way? Doesn't he know we're in many Bible studies? We don't have time for the perishing We're getting deeper in the Word. We're full of the Word. We're just not full of obedience. Listen to what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said this. Some of you good people who do nothing except go to public meetings, Bible readings, and prophetic conferences, and other forms of spiritual dissipation, would be a good deal better Christians if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves for work and go and tell the gospel to dying men, you would find your spiritual health mightily restored. For very much of the sickness of Christians comes through their having nothing to do. All feeding and no working makes men spiritual dyspeptics. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Closing out our time together today, we would remind you that copies of the broadcast, as always, are available. If you would like to review them at your convenience or use them in a small group study, pass along to a friend or family member. Again, simply contact us here at Truth For Today, and we'll make sure that you get a copy. The entire series is available as well. And throughout the month of August, as you become a TFT sustainer with a gift of any amount, we have a very special gift we'd like to send your way with a little bit more about it. Our teacher and pastor once again, here's Pastor Phil Howard. The book of Ruth is the amazing story of a family where suffering under famine And it looks like a posterity was going to be eliminated. But behind the scenes, God had planned to bring the Redeemer through this family. But there's a marvelous truth. And that was, if a Redeemer 
was to help a fellow family member. They had to be able to pay the price and they had to be a kinsman. And in this beautiful requirement, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come out of the line of Ruth and out of the line of David, he comes, he becomes our kinsman, according to Hebrews 2. He becomes our brother. He comes and he says, I'm willing. I will not redeem you with bulls and lambs, but with my own precious blood. He comes and he says, what the first man would not do, Adam, he was not willing to buy the girl that was widowed and in dire straits. He said, I love her. And because love will pay the price, love will find a way. And so we see a beautiful sketch in the book of Ruth of great, great avenues of redemption that will be unveiled in the rest of Scripture. The Romance of Redemption, a marvelous look at the book of Ruth, and it is yours for a gift of any amount this month, our way of saying thank you for being a TFT sustainer. Now, by the way, as you contact us and become a TFT sustainer on a regular basis, some of the other resources available to you are our quarterly newsletter, our once-a-year special gift, and take a break with Pastor Phil. It's the weekly video devotional that we have available. And again, that is for our TFT sustainers. No matter how big or how small the gift on a monthly basis, it's our way of saying thank you for partnering with us and allowing us the opportunity to continue the ministry of Truth For Today right here on KFAX. You can reach us at 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. We're here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today. And until next time, May the Lord richly bless you.